I wanna say welcome to all of you who are joining us. You are in the house, whether you are in your house watching online or at one of our campuses, so glad that you're with us today. My name is Jason and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I was thinking about this, if in your house is anything like mine, I wonder if you ever find yourself in the right place at the wrong time. Like we got a lot going on in our house, lots of schedules to keep up with and juggle. And this has happened before where literally we have dropped a kid off, birthday present in hand, all dressed up for the party to someone's door, knock on it, and the parent comes in and is like, uh, that was yesterday. Literally a day late for the party. But also, it's happened in my life where I've been in the, at the right time, but in the wrong place. Uh, when I was searching for my first like big boy job out of college, I had been doing all kinds of like trying to scour the want ads. You anybody remember want ads in the newspaper where you actually had to open up and, and you'd highlight it in circle? And they had all these opportunities that you could show up for an interview on the spot. So I showed up at the Radisson Hotel in Charlotte in my suit with my briefcase ready for a job in pharmaceutical sales. And I get to the room where it's supposed to be happening and I look around and I'm the only person in, I'm the only person in long pants. It was like shorts and Hawaiian shirts and t-shirts and I see this guy who looks older than everybody else and I'm like, hey, uh, am I in the right place for the sales interview? And he says, uh, this is Muzak the elevator music company. I'm not sure what you're doing. And then he goes, he says, but you know what? You can always tell the smartest person in any room is not wearing a tie. And I like look down and look back up at him. And I'm like, you might just be onto something at this moment. But here's what happened. It turned out he was the CEO of Muzak, a guy named Bob Boyd. I end up going to work for them Everything in my life changed. I became a voiceover person. I did say it like my whole life shifted, like God moved pieces on my board because I showed up at the wrong time or in the wrong place. The passage that we're looking at today, we're in this book called Ecclesiastes. The series is titled Under the Sun. And Under the Sun is all about taking a view that the writer of Ecclesiastes, a guy named Solomon, uh, that he has, that looks at life and creation and everything that we experience as apart from God. In fact, I told you last week, if you read through it and you happen to substitute apart from God anywhere it says under the sun, it opens up and unlocks all this new meaning for it. It helps us understand he's saying, without God in our life, I'm gonna describe to you what it is. And so we're looking at a passage today that just totally fits life not just apart from God, but actually life the way all of us experience it. This passage in chapter three of Ecclesiastes is so famous. It spawned classic rock songs. It's been read at funerals. It is gonna find its way into your heart. And I wanna show you that on the other side of this passage, there's a message of meaning and surprise that makes the most out of life. Because here's the thing. I think most of us are really dissatisfied in our life because we are not where or when we think we're supposed to be. We feel like we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Let's show you how it works. I wanna ask everybody to stand up wherever you are and we're gonna read together. Ecclesiastes chapter three. We're gonna read verses one through eight. Then I'm gonna pause, make some comments, read on a little further, and then I'm gonna walk you through, hopefully, an exercise to find out how to be in the right place at the right time. This is the time of your life. Here's what the writer says. There's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant 
and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent, oh, I wish we got this, and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This is God's word. You can be seated. Maybe like me, you've heard those words read at a funeral and it's appropriate because it's reminding us that what's happening is a part of what happens. That we're born, we die, and in between, we figure out how to make some kind of meaning out of our life. The writer uses these polarities, these ends of the spectrum, to talk about everything that happens in between. So he can say a time to be born and a time to die, and he means all of life. All of that is appropriate at a certain time. He means that laughing and crying, all of the emotion is appropriate at the right time and in the right place. But then he says something in verse nine that really captures the essence of how a lot of us feel, especially lately, as if it just doesn't matter. I get that there's a time and it's just normal, natural stuff, but it feels like it's missing any meaning. He says, what does the worker gain from his struggles? In other words, Yes, everything is appropriate in its time, but at the end of the day, what does it even matter? What's the point? That's under the sun thinking, apart from God thinking. And many of us can stop right there. And then we begin to just live our lives trying to figure out how to add in a little bit of meaning, a little bit more, a little bit of something in the, the brief time in the dash, you know, the dash between you were born and when you die. And yet what God says through this writer in the next couple verses are what we miss. And thank God there's good news here. Because if that was all there is, this would be a very depressing message for me to preach. But he actually is gonna say, there's way more going on. Look at verse 11. He says, God, he has made everything appropriate. In some translations, it says beautiful. Everything. And it's time. He's also put eternity in there, our hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Another way to just say that is, he's God, God has been doing all this stuff. He's at work, he's making things happen, but all of us are completely in the dark as to what he's up to. You ever felt that way? God, I am certain you're doing something, but I do not get it right now. He says, I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It's also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. That was our message last week. If you missed that, go back and catch it. It's all about becoming thank you people, just choosing to say, whatever I'm eating, whatever I'm doing, whatever moment I'm in, God, thank you. It's a gift. And then he says, I know that everything God does will last forever. Here's, here's, here's where it's all found. This is, this is the meat. I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. I can't change it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. If you ever wonder what's the point, it's that. Sometimes in our lives, it feels as if there's not a point that we can't understand what's happening. And ultimately, you can always say, God is working things together for his 
glory, and ultimately, if you're in Christ, for our good. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when we can't see how. So let me show you, in the next few minutes, these, these two real real important truths for all of, of this to help us make sense out of our lives, especially if in the last few years you feel kind of like that, like, what is the point of all this? I want to help you understand, have a hermeneutic, a way to make meaning out of it. Two truths that you got to remember. The first one is that all of us as created beings, we are time bound and God is not. We have to and only can exist in time and in space, but God is outside of time. In other words, everything that has ever happened, he can see at exactly the same time as he can see everything that is going to happen. He exists one step removed, watching it all. It's as if it's all present to him at one moment. I don't know how that works. I just know that scripture over and over and over attests to the fact that it is true that God places us as time-bound creatures, and that's actually good. It's actually good for us. In fact, the writer Job, one of the oldest books of the Bible, he says this, listen to how specific. He says, a person's days are determined. You, O oh God, have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. I read that and I think like, I wonder why he didn't say you've decreed the number of his years or days, like something more general, but he's saying, Actually, the number of months that you and I are gonna be alive has already been decided by God. And you can't go longer than that. I don't care, cryogenics, uh, keto, whatever you try to do to live longer, look younger, stay you can't outlive the amount of time that God has set for you and me. It's impossible. That's a truth that we have to accept. And once we do, and we all would say, yeah, I know that's true, but we live like it's not. We live as if we'll last forever, and we live as if there's always more time. We push off the things that are important. We decide to live in light of this moment, believing that there's always more time. And because of that, sometimes we end up kind of confused. Listen to this. I'm gonna skip forward to Ecclesiastes 9. I wanna read this one passage, because this sounds like so much of culture today, and it sounds like how sometimes we feel whenever we realize that we're just, this stuff's just happening to us. It says this, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. So he says, yes, there's a time and season for everything. All of this is in a cycle that makes sense, but every once in a while, I look to, lift up my head and look around, and I go like, this is not following the rules. The fastest person doesn't win. He says, the wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful aren't necessarily wealthy. What's up? And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. And then listen to this. It's all decided by chance, by just being in the right place at the right time. That would not be showing up at a birthday party a day late. But thank God, we're, what we're not teaching our kids about punctuality, we're teaching them about improv. Just roll with the situation. Whatever happens, just roll with it, right? But, but for us, this is kind of how it feels too. Like, I don't know. Things just happen. Listen to the words of Richard Dawkins. He's an atheist. And Richard Dawkins, as much as I hear him and see his anger at the church and at those who profess faith in God, I understand where he comes from because he sounds an awful lot like Solomon 
writing about life apart from God. Listen to this. He says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are gonna get hurt and other people are gonna get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it. No justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we would expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Can I get a witness that anybody has felt that way before? Pitiless indifference. And yet the entire Bible tells us in different ways, across different cultures, continents, and centuries that that is not true that God is up to something right now where you and I are. In fact, all the times and places of your life and my life, I'll say even and maybe especially the ones that we don't like, they're all in the capable hands of a good God. Every single one of them. And here's what's exciting that could cause us to actually anticipate, that might make us be able to go one more day even in the situation that you find yourself in that you didn't ask for, didn't deserve, shouldn't have. It's not fair, I get it. But in every one of those, there's an opportunity to see God. I wanna show you just one illustration out of so many in scripture, but from the life of Jesus himself because Jesus is always at the right place at the right time. He's not me. He's always showing up exactly when he should and how he should. I'm gonna tell you this story from Luke chapter eight, verses 41 through 56. We're not gonna put it up. You can read it later. It'd be a great afternoon. Grab you a cup of coffee or something, sit outside and read this and think about Jesus showing up, how it apply to your life. But here's the story. There's a man named Jairus. Jairus is a religious leader, spiritual giant in the synagogue. And that synagogue is just, a, it's a local Jewish church. And Jairus has all of the trappings of success. He is probably wealthy to some extent. He has knowledge. He's got fame. People respect him. He's done things the right way. Jairus lives the religious formula really, really well. But he's got a problem. His 12-year-old daughter is sick. And I'm talking about sick to the point of death. Jairus has tried everything that he can try. He's out of options. All that is left to him, and he's like a good dad just or a good parent, just like you are, or you wanna be. He'll do anything to rescue his little girl, 12 years old, so much life ahead. If she were to die now, it'd be meaningless. It'd be pointless. Like the universe showing pitiless indifference. So he does the one thing that he's got left. He knows about this man named Jesus who's been running around the countryside doing miracles and preaching with authority and making a name for himself. Jesus, who's different than all the other religious leaders. And Jairus humbles himself because he shouldn't do this as a religious guy in the Jewish system. He goes to Jesus, he falls on his knees and says, please, you can heal my daughter. Please come make her well again. She's gonna die if you don't. Jesus looks him in the face and says, you're on. They take off toward Jairus' house. 
I don't know how far away it is. Scripture's not exactly sure, but it's some distance long enough that along the way, Jesus is walking through this village and he gets a crowd. And the people who've all been wanting him to show up for them the way he has for others, they start pushing in and pushing in. And scripture says it almost crushes him. And this one lady who has been dealing with a medical problem for 12 years, same amount of time that Jairus' daughter has been alive. But her, the same amount of time, 12 years of waiting, wondering, what has she done wrong? Because he's not answering the prayers. Where is God in this? Have any of you ever thought that? Like maybe you're in a season that you, that you don't like, that seems not fair, that's, that's hard, that you know God doesn't want you in, and, and you start asking, like, what did I do? It's gotta be me. I don't know if she asked that question every day, every month, but at some point it had to cross her mind because she's human. But Jesus is coming through town and she sees her chance. Like maybe finally she's in the right place at the right time. She runs out of her house. She mingles through the crowd. She gets close and finds her way to him. And with faith that should astound you and me, she says, if I can just touch him, in fact, if I can just touch his clothes, and she gets up and she reaches out and grabs Jesus. And in that very moment, we're told that Jesus knows it and she knows it. She's healed. 12 years of waiting, wondering. Her life looks completely opposite from Jairus. Because of her bleeding problem, she's an outcast. She can't go to the synagogue. She can't participate. People stay away from her. 12 years of feeling like God has left her, abandoned her, and he is nowhere to be found. And in one moment, by being at the right place in the right time, it's all over. It's an incredible story of God's mercy and goodness. One that we should take heart, that even when we're waiting and wondering when, that God shows up, Jesus is always in the right place at the right time. But here's Jairus. The crowd has now stopped Jesus from getting him to his house, right? And I'm sure, I don't know if he knows this lady, but I'm sure if he did in his mind, it's like, it's been 12 years, what's one more day? Why are we stopping now? My little one is dying. And then he hears the words that we can't even imagine. His friends come and they say, you can stop bothering Jesus, it's too late, she's, she's dead. Game over, dreams ended, it's final. Too late. Jairus finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And yet Jesus is there with him. Just like he is with you, right where you find yourself. And I know this, Jesus' timing, at least for me, it almost always feels late. But it's always right on time because he's doing stuff that we can't see. Here's what happens next. Jesus looks at him in the face in a way that I'm sure only God can do. And he stares in his eyes and he says these three phrases. Don't be afraid, just believe and she'll be healed. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I've had times in life, I have times in life, where I feel like I've tried that. I've had faith. I'm not afraid. Why aren't you, why aren't you doing something? Have you felt that way? Do you, do you feel that way right now? 
moment, I can't imagine what the connection was between Jesus and Jairus. The story tells us that Jesus makes his way to their house. I can't believe that he's gonna still come, Jairus is thinking. They get there and it's loud. People are crying and wailing and they're moaning and everybody is like, why are yours? It's too late. You should have gotten here earlier. And Jesus says this thing, it's so funny. He's like, hey, what's all the commotion about? She's not dead, she's just asleep. And then it says scriptures, they start making fun of him. Like the crowd is mocking him, saying like, what's wrong with you? Us, this is, we wouldn't call you because she overslept. She's got too long of a nap. We don't need another alarm clock. The girl is dead and it's your fault. Jesus, he takes Jairus and his wife and a couple of his disciples and that's it. And he walks into the room, that room that maybe has felt like yours, cold, quiet, hopeless, still. And he says two words, Talitha Kumi. When he speaks those words, what they mean is, little girl, I tell you, get up. I try to imagine what it was like in a father's heart to hear that and look at your little girl and wonder, maybe this is the right time in the right place. We're told that her skin begins to warm, her eyelids flutter, she takes a deep breath, and she is alive because that's what Jesus does. He picks her up, and I love this part. He says, um, hey, somebody get her something to eat. I'm sure she's hungry. It's been a while since she's like, go get the girl some goldfish. We gotta take care of this right now, right? He's just performed one of the most amazing miracles that anybody's ever seen, and he cares so much for that little girl that he reminds him to give her a snack. Jesus is always at the right time and the right place. However, what makes it the right time and the right place is way less about your physical location and the moment. It's all about your spiritual condition and your response. It's whenever he looked at Jairus back in the village and said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, have faith, trust me. It's at that moment that his response is what makes it exactly the right time and place. And get this, the scripture says, it uses this word, it says that um, all the people, when they find out what's just happened, that they are, uh, the literal translation is like they're knocked off their feet. The people fall down, I can't believe this happened. It is God getting the glory. Remember Ecclesiastes 3, 14, that he does this so that people will be in awe of him? That's it. It's that nobody else could have solved that problem but Jesus like that, and he did it exactly right and exactly the way that would bring him the most glory. If you're ever wondering what God is up to, he is always bringing himself glory and doing it for our good if you're in Christ, even when it doesn't feel like it. Problem is, I think, let me, let, me, let me say this. My problem is, I often want it to be right now and right here. I wanna name the time and the place. Do you? Do you is that going on? Maybe you've gotten so used to it that you don't even say it out loud anymore. You, you just kinda hide it. 
It's almost like we get to where we feel so hopeless that, that we don't even say those words because we're just afraid we're gonna be let down again. Some of us have lived life always going to the wrong place at the wrong time. Like maybe, and, and I really understand this, for some of you, your life has been hard. It has been one sucker punch after another. You feel like you're always at a funeral. Maybe you've been to a lot of funerals in your life. And the problem is, everywhere you go, you expect a funeral. You show up at a party, but you're wearing black. And your mind is just waiting for how, when to start mourning. That's all you've learned to do. There's a time and a place for everything under the sun. And God has made it beautiful, appropriate in its time. But we forget what time it is. We live outside of the seasons. You know, this coming week, Wednesday, it's gonna turn. We're gonna be in fall officially. How many of you think that it would be a good idea to wear a parka on Wednesday? Right? I mean, that's what we do. We like show up in the wrong season, prepared or acting like it's something else. It's probably still gonna be 95. And some of us, that's the way we go through life. Most of our frustrations rise from our blindness to the change of the season that's happened. Here's the second truth. The first one is we're time bound and God is not. So even when it feels like he's late, he's not. The second truth is this. The time of our life, the time of our lives, of your life, it's not all the time that there is. We also live like that. We think that if it doesn't happen for me here and now, it's not gonna happen. And here's the thing. This writer says there's a time to be born and a time to die. And then a little bit later, he's gonna say, and there's a time for judgment. And I wanna tell you while that word judgment sounds like, ugh, I don't like it, it's actually good news. Because here's what knowing that your time on earth is limited and that there is a report, a review, a judgment at the end of all that, here's what it means. That you and I can be motivated to choose now with meaning and purpose how we will respond to the time we find ourselves in. We can choose how to live in light of the season that we're currently experiencing. That allows us to make both meaning and good, good decisions, good choices if we acknowledge where we are and if we acknowledge that this time is not all there is, it also means that all those places in your past, the painful ones, the unfair ones, that God sees them. And while they are in the past to you, they are not forgotten to him. The beautiful Christian hope is that one day all of it gets unwritten. <laughs> that it gets put right, that all of, as one writer said it, all of the things that are sad in this world come untrue. Not that we won't have lived them, but because he's gonna do something with them that puts it right that we won't argue with. And in fact, that will blow our minds with what good he can make out of it. This is the way the apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. Momentary light affliction. You know what this made me think of? Legos, right? That's, that's the kind of depth that I got here. It made me think of Lego sets in particular. Right now, how many of you remember when Legos, where you go to the store and you buy it, and it's a bucket with just a whole bunch of blocks and you get to use your creativity and figure out what to make. You remember that? 
Um, those of you who remember the want ads also remember that with me. But now they're not that way. They come in this, this set that has a picture of what you're supposed to make out of it. It has instructions with exactly where to put which piece at the right time. And all 187 blocks have a particular spot. Five of them for sure end up underneath my feet in the middle of the night. You've had that too, right? You've had that moment of pain where you're like, oh, and you've had the moment where you're trying to, to make it look like the picture on the box. And there's moments of frustration. You lost something. There's tears. And, you're, and that's just me. Like that, the kids, they got their own thing. But I'm crying about this. I'm afraid it's not going to work out. I don't know what's wrong with me. We so often live our lives as if it's supposed to be a Lego set and I got the picture and I got the sequence and this is what's supposed to happen. And God is the only one who knows what it's gonna look like. He's the only one who understands which piece goes where and when. But we think we are the ones with the design. This is why it's such simple but such important advice, what I said last week from the writer. Enjoy the moment you have now as a gift from God. You can't, I can't see the beauty of the other side of this, what he's making out of the things in mine and your life that we hate. We can't see it yet, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. And the hope we have in Christ is that it is. So here's the question, and I'm gonna give you a quick couple of steps with what to do with all this. The question though is, what time is it in your life? Do you know? Um, if you wonder how much just getting the time wrong can affect you, just think about the last little bit when, when kids have to go back to school and you just up and like it's the season for going to school now, but we're still staying up too late. And then the time changes and you think about that. How many weeks do we have to recover from the one hour move? Man, that's, that's true in our lives too. What time is it? Actually, what season are you living in? Um, Jessica and I got a chance over, I say Jessica and I, Jessica, I watched, got a chance over COVID to really learn about gardening and agricultural stuff. And we had time and we had space and she just jumped in and she planted flowers and, and all kinds of stuff, started little vegetable garden things. And it, it teaches so much about this life. One is that every season has something in it to plant and something to harvest. There's this guy at a, this little old-timey hardware store in Matthews, Renfro Hardware, that Jessica stumbled in and is talking to him. And he said, he's like, every single day of the year, there is something that you can plant and something that you can harvest. There's something to prepare and something to enjoy in every season of life. But when you're looking for flowers in the winter, you get frustrated. So what spiritually, what season are you in? Maybe you're in a winter and you know what happens? Winter, it looks dead, it looks quiet, the air seems still, it looks like nothing's going on. But in the plant world, during winter, the roots are going deep. Are, are you in a time where you need to be doing some root work? You want it to be harvest, you want the answers to be coming, but, but it's not. Maybe you're missing the season. Are you in winter? Sending your roots deep might look like rehearsing the faithfulness and goodness of God in the past and just preparing yourself for what's to come because spring is coming. And in spring, 
we see signs of life and we plant. And maybe for you, spiritually spring is you need to start some new habits. You need to begin to do some new things, plant some seeds that you're gonna get. Like maybe you need to join up into a bridge group or in a mentoring situation. Or you need to start, get back to reading the scriptures and immersing yourself with it. Or, or prayer, just simple praying every day. I don't know what it is for you, but is it time for you to plant? And then summer comes and summer is, the days are long and the living is easy, but there's weeding. Maybe you're in a season of weeding where you need to be taking some stuff out. You've gotten some habits, some patterns that aren't healthy and you, you need to pull that stuff out. Because what you want, what we all want, is autumn, is harvest. And if you're in an, an autumn season right now, God bless you, I'm so glad for you. Enjoy it and know that the seasons change. And there's not a thing we can do about it. No more than you can make the summer last for another three months or stop the winter from coming. The seasons of life and the ones that we are spiritually in, they change and God is present in everyone saying there's something here for you to plant and there's something here for you to enjoy. It's him if we're willing to find him, if we're willing to cooperate with the season and the time that it is. So I wanna give you three, three simple steps. Write it down, put it in your phone, whatever. Very, very simple. First, diagnose where you are. I get that diagnosis medical, where you are is like map and geography. I did that on purpose. Think critically, look at your life, what you're getting, what's happening, and decide where am I? What season of life am I in? What time is it? Secondly, anticipate where you're going. Sometimes just even recognizing that there's another season to come allows us to go one more day in this one. For those of you, I'm gonna pray in just a moment, but for those of you that are finding yourself in a long, cold winter, spring is coming. He is working. And thirdly, decide how you'll live now. What are you gonna plan? What do you need to do to have a harvest? What do you need to do to meet Jesus where you are right now? If he led us into it, it's always the right time and place. So why don't we pray? And then we're just gonna spend a little bit of time kind of responding. Not a long time, but just a little bit for you to kind of think through and maybe start this process. But let's pray that God would give us both eyes to see and courage to act. Can we do that? And, and can I pray specifically for those of you in their tough seasons? Father, here we have this, uh, these words that just hit too close to home, honestly this truth that we all know, but none of us like, that wherever we are, it is possible that you are up to something that we could not imagine if we saw it now. And yet it just feels too hard or it's gone too long. God, I pray for my friends watching or in a room at one of our campuses that have been in a really long season. I pray that you would give them strength 
that despite the amount of time, maybe it's 12 years, maybe it's longer, despite that time, you would, God, just speak to them that you're here. I pray, God, because there's nothing wrong with asking you this, but I pray that you would end those seasons of pain and suffering, that you would move Jesus, that you would show up, that today would be the day. And I pray that when it's not, that you would give us the ability to find joy even in it. I I don't know how you do, but you do. I pray, God, that you would meet us all as we kind of recognize, as we find our place in this time, I pray that you would give us bravery and courage to do what needs to be done, to weed out what needs to come out, to plant what needs to be planted, to enjoy it all as gift, to no longer live as simply under the sun people, but to live in step and in rhythm with you and what you're doing. I pray for students who are feeling this in school and parents, for retirees, for empty nesters, for those who are facing an uncertain future, those who are living the mundane regularity of life that seems like it just got stuck on repeat. For all of us, God, could we see in this moment that there is the gift of now and there's the gift of you in now. And I pray that we would be people who say thank you. Jesus, I trust knowing that you are here now with us, that you hear us and that you're after our good. So we leave this to you. Amen. Um, while you're taking some time to just reflect for a second, I'm gonna ask our ushers to come forward and, uh, and they're gonna start just passing the baskets. They'll start at the front of the, each section and then send them back here. I'm gonna need some crowd participation though, because uh, we haven't done this in like a year and a half, long time. So here's, it's very technical. You have to pass it to the person beside you. And then if you're the end of the row, you have to walk it to the person behind you. That, that's it, it's not tough. You might wanna stretch out before you do. Um, I know we've been sitting a while. But while that's happening, like, look, this is a chance for us to just respond with who we are. Like with our, our money, with, with your decision right now, if you know what you need to do next in this season of life, like that's worship. Obedience is worship. Generosity is worship. Persevering is worship. It is all living our lives in light of who God is and what he's done. Maybe you wanna take a connection moment. You can scan the QR code that's near you and uh, you can jump into something. Maybe it's that new planting season and there's a, a group you need to be a part of or something you need to attend. Like whatever you need to do next, just, just do that. Let that be your worship today. Because these seasons, they, they don't last forever. The one that you're in will not be this way forever. But God will always be there with you. So as we kind of wrap up this piece, I want, would you make a commitment to yourself that, that you'll take one step today? Like not wait until this week, but by the end, by sundown today, Sunday, September 19th, you will do one thing, one step. One step to cooperating with where you find yourself. I'm gonna pray and just kind of close this section. Then we're gonna sing this song. And uh, 
the song that we're gonna sing in just a moment, um, it says who we are. It talks about our name before God and, and what it means to be his. And I'm hoping that some of you, that's gonna be your step today, is that you're gonna say yes to Jesus, yes to accepting his offer of life, to choosing to receive his life, his death and resurrection bought our forgiveness and our forever. And then he just says, just come follow me. And then maybe even if you're in a place where you're not sure what's going on in your world, that you would just say yes to following him. So Father, we pray uh, thanksgiving over this moment. Uh, despite where everyone is at this time, we pray that you would that you would let us see it as gift because you're there. I thank you for the way people have continued to, to give, to be generous, but, but more so to, not just to be generous to us, Lord, to, to live in light of everything they have as a gift from you. And they're just open-handedly stewarding that for your glory. And I pray for the ones who are gonna take a step today, are gonna end up in somebody's living room in a group, or they're gonna end up across the table from someone in a mentoring relationship, or, or they're gonna serve with it, whatever it is, that step is. God, I pray that, I'm just grateful. I just pray thank you that you let us do that. I pray that you would help us to more and more exhibit to a world that feels like everything is meaningless, the meaning that life has when we find it in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? And let's sing out together. And, and let me tell you, especially if, if these words, uh, if this who you are is like hard for you to say, because the, the culture, society, or your past record, it's kind of, you got to label a name for yourself. And it feels like that's the most real one. The truth is the most true, real thing about you is who God says that you are. And here's who he says. If you're in Christ, you are chosen, rescued, redeemed, royal priesthood. You are a daughter or son of the king of the universe. He is actively at work in your life for his glory and for your good. And the only thing that matters is who he says you are. So let's sing that out together together.